0: Today we are going to talk about treating cervicogenic dizziness with MDT, Mechanical Diagnosis and Therapy. We will talk about dizziness classification, vertigo versus dizziness, common findings in the assessment, and how to treat them. If you are a physical therapist, this episode will help improve your skills when treating these patients. Bridget, our guest, tells us 60 to 70 percent of her patients coming in for dizziness are treated as cervicogenic dizziness, which she identifies as cervical derangements. You will find the most common directional preference to abolish dizziness and tinnitus, and how to manage these patients. So, stick around! This is PT Pro Talk. My name is Mariana Parks, and I'm a physical therapist and your host. Our guest today is Bridget Cholagardas, a physical therapist with over 23 years of experience, McKenzie certified, clinical director at Physical Therapy and Balance Center in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and level three balance certified practitioner through physical. Bridget also owns Elevate Gymnastics and Athletics, where she is the head coach and executive director. I hope you enjoyed the show. PT Pro Talk podcast is only possible with the support of the forward-looking and innovative company, Systems for PT, the do-anything, anytime EMR. Systems for PT develops systems for clinics so you can focus on your patients. Go to systemsforpt.com to schedule a demo today. Hi, Bridget. Welcome to PT ProTalk. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. Thank you. After a long day of work, you still have some energy to come here and talk to us. That's right. But I'm excited about this topic. So
1: I get excited. Awesome. To talk about
0: it. So let's just get started with you talking a little
1: about yourself, your career, and how did you get to where you are right now? Um, let's see. I have been a physical therapist for a little over 23 years. Um, I was an athlete and I was injured quite a bit and that's how I got interested in physical therapy. How can you stay active in sports and athletes? Um, but after I started my career, um, there was so much more than just, um, having fun. That's what I saw as a physical therapist. They were always eating food and always having a good time. And then I actually studied it. Um, I've had the opportunity to live in a few States since becoming a physical therapist, following my husband around. So I worked in um, Wyoming, North Dakota, and now New Mexico. I have been in acute care, then rehab, um, hospital-based outpatient, a contract company, and now I've been in outpatient and working um, at MDT. I I was MDT certified about eight years ago, so dramatically changed my career and just really... put the passion back in physical therapy for me. When I found Denise Campbell, I've been working for a physical now for 12 years in Las Cruces, New Mexico with Denise Campbell, who's a diplomat.
0: Awesome. So it's funny because that's the same with me. I started, uh, I wanted to do physical therapy because I was a gymnast and I was always injured. So that's how how it was for me as well. It's funny. Uh, So, Let's talk a, a little bit of how you got into that topic they're going to talk today, that is dizziness, that's very different, right, from traditional PT. So how did you get involved with dizziness? And then let's talk a little bit more in depth about dizziness. For sure.
1: Um, well, when I actually came to Las Cruces, um, my boss, uh, her company was Southwest Sports and Spine, so it was an ortho outpatient clinic. I had years of experience of treating vertigo or BPPV. So when she brought the franchise physical in, um, then I automatically became the person who was going to work with vertigo and Disney because I had the most experience doing Dix Hallpike's and Epley's maneuvers. And that's what I knew. But as she brought it in and she bought the franchise, um, physical came with a pretty in-depth, um, training in balance, vestibular, um, Vestibular situations, conflicts, and dizziness. And what happened is I was practicing the um, more conventional treatments for physical therapy in vertigo, dizziness, and imbalance. But having my MDT experience, um, I ended up finding lots and lots of um, ability to treat dizziness based on the, the neck, the cervical spine. And so all of my work is basically case studies and just clinical application. Um, Part B, McKenzie, combined with the um, dizziness and vertigo assessments that I learned through physical, has um, just opened up my eyes to see how much we can help people with their dizziness that is coming from their neck.
0: That's crazy. So let's start just talking about classification. So how do you classify dizziness? Because I think that is the confusion, dizziness, vertigo. So just to get in the topic, just tell us a little bit about how do you classify, how do you differentiate those uh, things?
1: Okay. Um, what I, I love to even start with with my patients is somebody will come in and say, Oh, I'm, I'm, I have vertigo. So, first, starting with what is the difference and what is the definition of dizziness versus vertigo? And so, being able to differentiate that with a patient, vertigo for me is. Spinning, you're spinning or the rim is spinning. And then dizziness, defining that word when they're talking about symptoms, um, it, the, the, the symptoms that people feel are imbalance and wonkiness, lightheadedness, blurry vision, uh, bouncy vision, fogginess, motion sensitivity, light sensitivity, pressure in the head and even ear ringing. So those things send me down sort of different routes. If somebody enters with vertigo, then I'm thinking high percentage that they have inner ear BPPV issue, and so we have specific tests that we have the the opportunity and luxury of having infrared goggles in our clinic that I can use to identify which canal, which ear, do they have BPPV, and then I can correct that appropriately. But what we I also have is definitely a part B, but is my McKenzie training, and often I mean I'm I'm probably seeing sixty to seventy percent of my patients per week that are are just coming in for dizziness, and I am treating them as cervicogenic dizziness, which I would just say, if Bridgetism is it's a cervical derangement. And what it tends to, it, to me, it, it appears to be like a distal symptom or a peripheralization of a neck problem. And then I can classify them that way, and then I can start to address which direction, just like I would a headache or arm pain, elbow pain, you know, referring symptom from the neck in the arm, upper extremity, shoulder blade.
0: Okay. So when they have spinning vertigo, uh, do you treat them more conservatively like you mentioned before, like the conservative treatment, physical therapy, uh those maneuvers that we
1: are used to? That's the the route that you go. I almost 90% of the time if somebody comes in with true spinning, they invert vertigo, um then I can see that they have nystagmus and I use the conventional maneuvers. But you know, there are many there. Are, I mean, I think more than 20 maneuvers, but depending on which canal I will maneuver them with the, with the appropriate maneuver, Samant or, um, Appiani or, um, uh, uh just Epley's Samant barbecue roll. You know, there's so many, but then I treat them that way. And those symptoms come, um, people will describe those symptoms more as hey, it lasts less than 30 seconds. It's one minute. It's when I roll over in bed, it's when I look up the classic what we've been trained for top shelf vertigo, BPPV. But if somebody comes in and they say it's, it's variable some days I'm, I mean, I'm good all morning. And then I, you know, later in the evening, I feel terrible or some days are great. And then today I had it for six hours or I felt really bad for two hours. And then I went out and worked in the yard and then I feel better when it's sort of that variable comes, it goes, stays a long time. um, Then I'm thinking "Hmm, more along the lines of dizziness, cervicogenic.
0: Mhm. Okay. And I think it was interesting that the goggles that you mentioned that's very like specialized, right? That you have to identify um uh, what why where is the problem, right? That you can do the specific maneuver to address that specific problem. That's
1: very interesting. We also use the goggles um I'm sorry, just to um rule out sort of central nervous system issues also. We have we look at fixation. We look at head shake, nystagmus, a couple other things, because as the windows are the um the eyes are the windows to the brain, then we can identify is it something peripheral, central, do we need an MRI? Is it something more sinister that I need to refer them on to the doctor? And then is it also BPPV? So that's what we use our goggles for.
0: Very interesting. And if you find out that's more central related, then you refer, refer out to the doctor?
1: I refer back to the doctor, yes. I mean, there's some certain things that we're looking for. Um Uh, in their nystagmus, in their eyes, or without not being able to fixate some things. Okay. And other than with that exam
0: specifically, are there other signs, symptoms that it gets her attention, like that's a red flag, maybe
1: I should refer? Sometimes, I mean, there are the, um, I know there's been debate now on the VBI test, right? But as I'm looking at somebody's cervical extension, because I make sure that they have that in order to even be tested when I'm looking for vertigo and BPPV um, or even just their full extension. So that's something that I will still I look at is to make sure that they don't have a vestibular vasor insufficiency. Before I start doing those maneuvers, I ha- I have had a few people that as I take them through, they're getting sick and like just feeling a tunnel vision, kind of some things and those things I stop and Let's go back to the doctor.
0: Okay. Anything else that gets your attention that could be um something that you may not be able to treat or you shouldn't treat that you think about referring to the doctor?
1: You know, just if I find the central signs, we do a central bedside uh test before I even do the goggles and I put them in the goggles. Uh the VBI. And then uh, we've had I've had a few cases where um they're having other signs with their dizziness, like maybe a little facial droop, maybe a little pause and processing. It seems like a little aphasia. Um, I recent, like three months ago, I had a lady that um, it, nothing, she wasn't responding to anything. And, and I had to make a phone call to the doctor and she ended up actually, we got her to the hospital and the next week she had a small stroke. Mm.
0: Oh my goodness. I was just asking you because we talked a little bit before that and I was talking about nausea and other symptoms that, for us that we are not used to treat, it can kind of like scare us. Should we do, are we doing something wrong? Uh, should we stop now? Just, I was just curious to see if there is any other signs that we should pay attention to.
1: I love nausea. I mean, I'm sure people don't, but nausea is something that's pretty cool just to be able to take it away with, you know, 10 retractions or upper cervical flexion or something.
0: Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Okay. Let's now talk about dizziness. then. Um So you'll you you told us about some of the signs that you're looking to classify uh, as dizziness, and then from there, um, what are the the approaches that you use to treat them in a conv- like in a conv- conservative way, or using McKenzie to kind of like rule out how is that process to r- rule out uh, the neck as source of the symptoms or... How do you go about that part of your assessment?
1: Okay. Um, <clears throat> it is definitely sort of, a, I mean, just going down a cervical assessment is what I'll start with, but I combine the vestibular. Uh, and so I'll always look at with the balance system is made up of three systems. And so it, uh, you know, it's the vision, the inner ear, of the vestibular system, and the somatosensory, the, the joints through the sense of touch. So my assessment is going through all of those things, even if I think they're cervicogenic. Because I'm going to find if there's cervicogenic dizziness, what people often feel like I'm going to fall or they feel like a loss of balance. So I will test that. So at the bedside, I will test active range of motion of the neck. And I'm off. I'm looking for an obstruction. I'm asking them subjectively. And often they'll say, you know, I feel a pressure in the back of my head. And then my dizziness comes on. Often, often that happens. Sometimes people don't have neck pain, but they have obstruction that they didn't, they just think is normal you know, I'm aging and I can't turn my head very well. So I'm looking at that for the, for the rest of the assessment. I do look at the central nervous system science. I look at active range of motion of the ankles being one of the big balance strategies, and then we'll look at their dynamic visual acuity. So I'm looking at a a reflex. Um, and then I'm looking at a a modified CATSIP, is what we call it. So it's a modified clinical test of sensory interaction in balance. And so that's a basic Romberg with eyes open, eyes closed. And then Romberg, eyes open, eyes closed on phone for conditions. And, you, and you'll you find where people, if people have imbalance or dizziness, they don't pass all four of those tests usually ever. And so I'll find kind of where we first fall. So now looking at the cervicogenic dizziness, I've already decided based on their symptoms telling me, describing them, one, how long they last, when they occur, obstruction to movement. So I'm looking at that objective. I'm listening to their subjective and then I have functional, I'm doing a functional test, which I consider as that modified catzip. I use and it's very successful. And then people can see, you know, I could not close my eyes and stand here for 20 seconds, two minutes ago, and now I can. So I'm using another objective measure. So I kind of use those as my baselines. And then I start going through the McKinsey process. I start with repeated movements in the direction that it sounds like, you know, I'm going through the same questions. Hey, if you were to make yourself dizzy, what would that be? What things make you worse? What things make you better? Then I can start kind of driving my care based on that. Okay. When you
0: say that you ask for how long the symptoms last, what would you guide you towards the direction that it could be neck related? Is there anything that you're looking for, like an answer?
1: Well, I'm just, I'm thinking more like along the lines of of derangement, you know, like, Hey, the pain was down past my elbow for this song. And then, you know, yesterday it was fine and my neck hurt really bad. So is it moving? Is it centralizing? So I'm asking those questions is like, you know, Hey, I, I was really dizzy yesterday, but I had to work on the computer for four hours. So I'm looking at like what their posture is, what their positioning. So for me, I'm thinking of as that sort of peripheral and distal symptom when that is that dizziness worse and when it gets better oh i'm better when i lie down flat on my back or you know there's certain positions when i watch tv it's over to the left kind of looking at those things to that did i answer your question
0: yeah yeah i was just trying to yeah find the signs and symptoms that make you think more about a cervicogenic presentation cervicogenic dizziness and then you how do you go about you start testing the neck first
1: I, I, on do. Your assessment. I, I start, which is what I, I think in the MD, using my MDT experience is, is opposite and is different. You know, as I go through looking at information on vestibular.org or the Vestibular um, Disorders Association, uh, a lot of people classify cervicogenic because they have eliminated everything else. They look at everything else first. And then because it's such a difficult diagnosis to really um, say this is truly neck dizziness, Then if people just use it as sort of like at the end, if I can't find anything else, maybe it's cervicogenic dizziness where I say, hey, I'm going to stay from the top. You have dizziness that is coming from your neck and I'm going to see if I can change that, if I can help you. And then if I can't change it mechanically, then I start to look at where are sensory conflicts? What's wrong with our vision? How's our inner ear working? How are our joints? And do we have neuropathies and kind of other things that would play in the conservative like, hey, two of your three balance systems aren't working. Let's retrain. Let's habituate. Let's do vestibular rehab. But that's a very small percentage of my patients, very small, that I can't find something in the neck, which is so fascinating.
0: Yes, that is crazy. So you feel like actually a very small percentage of the your patients are really like true, like vestibular
1: re- rehab You still have to sometimes do the vestibular rehab, but it isn't the treatment for the diagnosis. Uh, And that's what I'm finding more and more. And like I said, I don't have a lot of scientific research on this. It's case studies and and just being in the clinic for the past six years with this, with having both of these uh, just levels of education from the balanced vestibular side and the MDT side.
0: Awesome. So what are the most common findings in your assessment in terms of symptoms presentation and physical assessment when you are um, assessing someone that you feel like is cervicogenic dizziness?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, For sure, on the subjective, um, they'll describe a pressure in the base of their skull. They'll describe pressure in the back of their neck. They can have headaches. They'll describe just dizziness, a lot of lightheadedness and fogginess or wonkiness. People use that word a lot. And people will, and what I've seen now is a lot of bouncy vision. Like I just can't focus on you. So those things already just kind of send me. And, and I, and I receive a lot of patients that have cervicogenic dizziness on there. We've reached out to a lot of ENTs and the ER doctors. And so um, they will send them directly to us, even rather than going the full route of all the testing first, which has been helpful. And so I, I get people that are just coming to me and they just say, I'm just lightheaded. These are people that have been dizzy for years and they, you know, nobody's been able to help them. And usually they'll get to me either last or they just look on their own because they don't want to live like this anymore. And is there something that they can do? So the person comes in with subjective symptoms that are variable. It comes, it goes. I feel lightheaded or I have people that can't work anymore. I can't function. Um, and so I'm looking at that subjective. I do see generally almost always a obstruction to movement in some direction in the cervical spine. And then they all, they almost always have a functional, like, Hey, I can't, I can't bend over quick and pick that up anymore. Or it does happen when I sit to stand, you know, we think positional, like orthostatic hypotension or some other things like that, but they'll have something they just say, I I can't do anymore. So I'm always doing something that I'm listening to their subjective information. I'm finding objective measurements like the cervical spine, active range of motion, and then a functional balance baseline of that modified cat zip, kind of are always where I go first. And that's my baseline. And then how do you treat it? What are the common directions? Almost always all, uh, retraction often, but what I found is it's a retraction and it's a retraction with just a little bit of upper cervical flexion. It's a little bit more significant of a nod um, or I just coming up with a pillowcase behind the top of the head. So the retraction be, be happens with a, a little bit more upper cervical and they'll feel pressure there. That's probably, that's the most common is just a retraction or retraction with that little upper cervical flexion, the upper upper cervical spine has been super, super helpful. Um, I do have people though that are, um, I'll just go the same direction I would for a neck pain, for an arm pain um, is I'll go to end range. I go, okay, if you're better, like then I go to overpressure and I will take them to extension. And does it expose a lateral? People will get worse. Even some of the most common things I, I, I guess I could back up. So even functional is when I test their extension in cervical in their cervical spine, they'll they'll have a postural sway when they come up, and you can see that, and they describe that. So I use that as a baseline. Let, let's do this repeated motion: look up, come back. They're like, oh, I didn't have it, and that'll be gone. And so I'll go the same thing. It's often retraction, often retraction with upper with a little upper cervical flexion, uh, and then I will go into extension. But I have lots of people that are rotation too and side bending. It's you just follow it. In fact, sometimes, and this is totally a brigidism, There's no science behind this. I don't even just going through, sometimes what I'll do is they'll feel I'll just take the motions, just the baseline motions slower. They just look right for five to ten seconds. And they'll just tell me I, I, I feel way less dizzy over there. And I'm just looking this direction, you know, oh I feel bad, or you can see them in their posturous way. And so it kinda kinda leads me into like, okay, I need to go this direction first because they don't have an arm, you know, they don't have a ridiculous symptom. They don't have a shoulder blade pain that I can say, which way do I go when I, when I have exposed basically a lateral with extension at end range, then which way am I going to go? So just in that simple, like, Hey, I feel better over here or I have them stay in like a lateral flexion or side bend. And then they'll say like, Oh, weird. I feel better over here. I have had a handful of people that it's not just in the neck, but it's in the thoracic spine.
0: Who would think, right? Thoracic spine.
1: It's yes, possible for finished. so many different things that we are finding out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And more and more. And sometimes, uh, you know, figuring out, okay, cervical, ex- the re- when they're doing retraction with extension and they're feeling better, then I kind of play with what level is it really. And then I have people I have just had in the last three months, I have three people that have responded to thoracic rotation, which I o- only based on following symptoms did I find that. I, I didn't even think, you know, how strange. Like,
0: yes, that's that was going to be one of my questions. Like, if you just find generally extension on thoracic, or if you find any lateral,
1: that's so crazy. Often extension, but but in the last, I, I mean, a handful in five years, I probably have ten people that have responded to rotation in the thoracic spine, and that's just me kind of looking at obstruction to movement. Or feeling like I can't find a direction in the cervical spine, I'll just go down a little bit. I have apps. I have had one person, and I can't explain it at all, but that got better with press ups with her hands distal. So it was like a lower thoracic, like, um, and I and I only got went there because in she was also having a back issue while she was dizzy, and then she got up and she's like, my dizziness is better. And I thought, no way, <laughs> really, and tested her balance. She was steady on her modified cat sip. Dizziness was gone. I've only had one person though, so I can't really speak to that at all but but just following the symptoms,
0: yep, and do you feel that for the most part is more upper thoracic?
1: Yes, yes, but it, it can be mid, and so along the way I, I I've come up with just in the last five years is if i it, it appears to be in the thoracic and, and even if it's in the cervical spine just to increase spinal mobility. I'll put them in a sustained thoracic extension with a roll as simple as, I mean, this is my uh, two hand towels. I start um, at just around like T6, T7 in there. It's about three inches the roll and I sustain it for three minutes and then I have them come up and we retest. How's your cervical spine movement? How are your symptoms? How is your modified catsup? How's your balance? And they can be better, worse, or the same. And then I move it up. And then I move it up to like to the CT junction. I kind of go in that order. And every time I get them up, I retest subjective, cervical range of motion, balance. And then then we can see, is it better? And sometimes that will expose the lateral there. If I make them worse all the way up as I'm extending, 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 then I think, let's see how your rotation is.
0: That's so interesting. So do you feel like to get your answers, you have to put them in a sustained position versus like repeated movement?
1: I or do sometimes. Do you lose both? Yes, I do both. I do both.
0: Okay. And any tips on like how do you? What is your rationale when you are putting someone in a sustained position versus uh, repetitive movement testing on the thoracic? Uh,
1: yeah, definitely. If you if I see somebody that's um, pretty kyphotic. If they're a little bit older, um, there are different things where I will just lay them down. Or if, if they're having a little bit of trouble, you know, their therapeutic alliance, are they really buying into what I'm saying? Cause I do even, I will sort of present it as, Hey, don't think I'm crazy, but what I'm finding is sometimes I can help people with moving their neck. Cause you know, they think, no, I'm dizzy. It's over here. I get this pressure. And, and so it's just getting some buy-in with them too. Um, I I didn't share that, but oftentimes that I do have to slump them because there's a lot of people that have a very kyphotic CT junction and slumping them with that retraction in upper cervical has been life-changing for people there too. But I will tend to do that with those people. I was like, how how do you do slumping with the retraction? So I, yeah, I will just slide their, their hips just come forward like four inches in the chair so that I'm not kind of, you know, running into their thoracic spine. And so I have to kind of bypass that. And then that's been helpful with dizziness for sure.
0: Hmm. Interesting. A lot of different strategies here. Um mm-hmm. so definitely
1: observing their structure as they're retracting from the side too.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then on the cervical, I was I wanted to ask you, do you use a lot of sustain retraction? Or do you feel like, for the most
1: part, repetitives being more effective? Yeah, yes, I, it's I I use both, but they people get a lot better with repeated motion. I mean, I I don't I can't even put into percentage wise. Um, if I think about my day to day, I I didn't sustain I didn't sustain anybody. They were all just repeated movements, and then just doing as many reps as we need, kind of tweaking the angle of the chin, tweaking the slump.
0: And on the cases that needed to sustain, any tips on like what made you think about sustaining that person?
1: I think what I think the most, I sustain it more for more investigation, more end range. If they're having trouble doing it. And a lot of times people will have, you know, people in general have a hard time retracting my older population. I mean, I see so many seventies and 80 year olds that are having it um, that I will tend to sustain them for information. And then through that information, I'm finding out, like, I'm just, I'm trying to get better information or even increase their mobility so that maybe this repeated movement will work better now and finding an on off switch. Okay. When I put it in the lower spot at T7, it made you more dizzy. I moved it up three inches. We put it at T2. It took away your dizziness. So where I, I'm able to find, and that's when I utilize also, um, PA mobs. I use some mobilization, kind of to feel out their end range, and then that will expose a lateral too. Or it can completely take somebody's dizziness away if you find the right level.
0: And when you say expose the lateral, do you note, note some uh, obstruction to lateral movement? Or is just like the symptoms are more, uh, it's weird because it's dizziness, right? So how do you, sometimes you probably don't have like arm symptoms. So how do you
1: know you are exposing the lateral? So knowing that I make their symptoms worse in general. So if I'm going to end range extension, right, I'm mobilizing you, you feel worse when you sit up, your balance is really wonky and you can hardly walk. I've made you worse. So how can I make you better? And so that will send me to right or left.
0: Okay, makes sense. And do you feel like that progression is the same as like a normal MDT assessment? If they get better with retraction, you always like, I'm not going to say always, but usually you take them to extension and range, or sometimes it's just like retraction
1: enough? Sometimes retraction is enough. But I will will still take them, for most people, I will take them just like any other cervical derangement. I will get them off the lateral, get them back to sagittal, and get them to extension. There are a few people that I don't, especially if it's upper cervical flexion, I'm not going to take them there. Because that's going to send them into extension in the upper cervical spine. And we just work to. So it depends on what tweak I have with the upper cervical spine in that.
0: Because I was just thinking about headaches, and we usually see more flexion on upper cervical. I was just thinking if it was the same, if you see a lot of like direction uh, working upper cervical flexion
1: versus extension. Mm hmm. I, I do see more upper cervical flexion helping with dizziness, very similar to a headache. Sometimes I'll produce the headache. So even we can take away the dizziness and now I have pain behind my eye. I'm like, Oh, okay. And so we kind of follow that, but definitely like those people that respond to the more upper cervical flexion or the pillowcase or the slouch with it, I do, they don't go back to extension. I mean, I try to take they're them gonna make it the, worse. Yeah, I I mean I take them through the whole management phase of derangement, reductive, um maintenance phase, recovery, of function, and prevention. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Who would have thought
1: they have it, to it, 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 start it's adding crazy. those on
0: the on the mm-hmm. the, the modules? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I don't. Yes, I I need definitely we need to do more research on it too, rather than just case studies. But it's been. I mean, just a huge population of people that I've been able to help with that.
0: And like in terms of response to the treatment, do you just see like a normal derangement? They abolish and they stay well. They keep repeating those movements to maintain. They take care of their posture and they get like full resolution in those cases that are like derangements. Absolutely.
1: 100%. I mean, I have people that are better in one to three visits. I have people that we have to tweak for a while, right? If we have to be lateral for a little bit, bring them back to sagittal. I may or may not bring them to full extension. Um, Can be a little bit longer. And then some people have to have a little bit of conservative therapy. But most people, you will see an immediate change in just like a derangement. Cervical spine would be um, a change in the movement. The range of motion restores, and that all happens almost immediately. Even sometimes before the dizziness gets a lot gets better, um, but then their their dizziness will be completely abolished. And do you feel like the response you see quicker
0: on the range of motion or on the symptoms? You you see any relation? Like the range of motion gets better, even if this, the 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 dizziness didn't improve that much, but if you know the mechanic is getting better, the symptoms should reduce,
1: like maybe right after? Yes, correct. I do. Yes, exactly. The range of motion, almost. And that's one thing that every patient, you know, they'll just say, oh gosh, I can turn so much easier. I can look behind my shoulder now. Um, But most of the time it happens at the same time also.
0: That's crazy. And then you have their buy-in because they are like experiencing the, the improvement because I, I assume they are probably uh, skeptical in the beginning when you say like about neck or even like thoracic.
1: And then like they see that they're probably like, what's going on here? Exactly, Ex- exactly. And that's why I try to do those functional things. I, I will use that, that Romberg mod- that modified catsup test because it's so obvious. They will immediately improve their balance. They won't sway and they can stand there before they're falling over. And I don't—I won't take my hands off them. And then they can stand there by themselves. And they're like, wow, okay, maybe there's something to this.
0: And like if you had to say what percentage do you feel like of your patients that you see on like a daily basis are uh,
1: the cervicogenic dizziness? Are you saying what percentage that I see are of the dizzy people that I see? I would say 80%. Yes. 80% oh, wow. come in. I feel like the, if we have a, the patience too sometimes, it'll take me you know, one to three visits. I'm like, if you're patient with me, like I feel like we can find where this is coming from.
0: That's awesome. And then it, it takes about one to three visits to kind of like figure it out. The direction, on, exactly. The direction. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And then the other 20%, why do you feel like they
1: are vertical? vestibular? Yes, I would say vertigo. And for me, I I really have had only a few people that are vestibular, but they'll come in with a central sign. I mean, I have somebody who has spontaneous nystagmus. He has a diagnosis of um, cerebellar ataxia. You know, those things I'm not going to change. That's not a service. I worked him through just to make sure, okay, let's clear your neck. Um, you know, but he has this constant nystagmus and he is just here for vis- vestibular rehab, but that's a, that's a small percent. I would, I, you know, this is also bridgetism. There is no research behind this, but of the 80% that I would say are cervicogenic, 15% BPPV and 5% I'm treating vestibular. But I'm also ca- talking from the MDT side that I I just feel like it's it's so fascinating how many people we've I've been able to help, that we've been able to help because of the MDT knowledge of Part B. If everybody could take Barbie, they could just treat a dizzy person.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, and how about the
1: tinnitus? And I probably said it wrong. <laughs> um, I, hear, you hear, I hear it every way. Tinnitus, tinnitus, ear ringing. So I'll say ear ringing. Let's say ear
0: ringing, then it's easier. <laughs> uh, so what type, uh, what type of response have you been finding
1: with those patients? And this one, I completely just like happened upon. I didn't know that I could really treat that. And I don't, I think MDT, maybe they knew they could. I, I don't know. In my experience, I didn't remember that. Um, but it was it, it was just treating dizziness. And then someone also mentioning, oh, you know what? My ear ringing, my frequency has been higher or lower or it's been less. And so I don't, it's, I wouldn't say it's as high as 80%, but w- way more than 50% is almost always high percentage. In my clinical experience, it's a lateral that responds generally to rotation or side bending when somebody has ear ringing. So I treat it as a posterior lateral derangement. And and that's something as simple as I do sustained positions. I'm not even that sustained. I, I mean I, that's back to that slow, like hey turn to the left as far as you can go, put, you know, kind of end range. And they'll say, oh I don't hear it in my left ear anymore. Or I hear it in my right ear. Or it's way it's higher. It's louder. You know, when people have had it for so long, they're just used to it all the time. I I had a guy today, he's like, I've had it for 20 years, you're not going to change it. I'm like, okay. And I don't, I don't push it, but hey, what do you think about your, you know, as we're over here for your dizziness, what do you think about what you're hearing? And so I will play with sustained motions with ear ringing often more than I will. Um, just the dizziness, lightheadedness, wonkiness, or nausea. That's something you brought up that I, but, but people that come on, they're just like, I just feel like I'm kind of sick to my stomach all the time. I have motion sickness. And in that, I can I could bring on the wrong direction and then we can take it away. And that's really, people buy in really quick when you can take away their nausea. Yeah.
0: And like in that type of patients, do you feel like you said that you treat like more postural lateral derangement? Do you find just poor lateral too? Just
1: like not rotation. I have found that a small percentage, but 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 still, you know, retraction with rotation, retraction with side bending.
0: Okay. And just curious, do you find anyone with protraction as a direction,
1: like protrusion? Yes, sorry, yes mm-hmm. no yes, yes i I absolutely do i I haven't found like too many like straight flexion, but um protrusion the same kind of like in that in that headache, but not as many and as as the years have gone by, one of the things that I find in sort of a middle age uh to older population uh is is a few months after they've started wearing like a progressive bifocal or a trifocal. Because most people are holding their head in an upper cervical extension. And so it'll be, uh, that's one of the things I ask them hey, I see you have a progressive, or I see you have a tri bifocal in there. How long have you had that? Because they'll be, you know, they're looking down to look through this part, they're looking up to do this part. And then they're always in that upper cervical extension. And so bringing back that flexion. Yeah. That
0: and just then, popped in there. And then- yes and then probably just correcting the posture too important component Absolutely. on that reduction
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and when i find that lateral they'll, i have them change their whole setup and and sometimes you can find like hey where you know you i have this new job my computer monitor is over here to the left so they're always in this sort of slumped you know protrusion flex posture and a rotation and so we'll change up. So getting, a, you know, more detailed in their history too, like what is your setup? Like, how, how long do you sit there? What do you do at work? How do you sit? How long are you there? And I'll have them change the whole. Hey, where do you watch TV? People at night they're like, oh, I feel terrible when I get up at night after sitting in my recliner. Well, where's your TV? Is it up? You're looking up overhead. Is it over to the right the whole time? So it's like keeping an eye on those things too. Or if somebody's getting better and then they're getting worse when they go home, like, hey, what are you doing to yourself when you go home? And sleeping posture is huge too. Uphill, downhill—it's just same thing as a cervical derangement. Cervical rolls have been super helpful for people. Yeah,
0: it's it's like a normal derangement. and it is. it's just it, the symptoms, not, yeah. dizziness.
1: I, yes, they're dizziness, and it scares people, but it's, <laughs> it's 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 pretty amazing. I just feel like everybody
0: should like deserve the pass through a mechanical assessment if they have this type of symptoms because they, they're they suffering probably for so many years with this type of symptoms that they have no idea that a mechanical assessment
1: can help them. It's just crazy. So much. And and these people have been through everything. They have been to the ER. They've been put on meclizine. They've been to an ENT. They've then been sent to an audiologist. They've had an MRI or a CAT scan, which everything comes out normal. They go to see the neurologist who says, I'm, you know, this is just the way it is. And so then they finally get to back to us and, and think, first of all, there's, you know, they're like, I don't know what you're going to do as a physical therapist. But when you're able to change them quickly and, and dramatically, um, you know, people are it's it's it is life changing. I mean, people are able to get back to work. I have many people that are like, I haven't worked for a month because it just came on one day. And that's that insidious onset. Like there was no injury, no anything. Hey, did you go on a long car ride? Were you on an airplane? You know, were you in a prolonged posture that just brought it on over time? Yes.
0: Now we have to bring awareness to the therapists so they know that they can treat these type of problems too. Uh, because as I told you, I knew that we could, and I did a few tests, I tried a little bit. And then she started feeling nausea. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> it's just give us more, like, give us more um, confidence on approaching those patients and knowing that it's it. It looks like works very similar to like a normal mechanical assessment, um, range of motion, symptoms, all of all of those same things.
1: So it's pretty crazy. I think that you know we've always had this term, the cervicogenic dizziness. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I'll see it and I'll talk to other therapists and like, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm already treating her neck. Well, well, when somebody is treating cervicogenic dizziness, I don't even remember what I maybe would have done before MDT with it, but but probably massage to the neck, you know. I I know or traction, and and I do still use those things sometimes. Traction is very helpful when it's cervicogenic dizziness for a lot of people. Um, and, but I, and I generally wouldn't use that as much just going MDT, but I will use that or I'll test them with manual traction um, with a pillowcase or something like that. But um, yes, and the other therapists would say, oh yes, I already treated the neck. And, and most time they're just doing range of motion, they're doing massage, right? It's not a direction, it's not a derangement, they're not tre- reducing it.
0: Since you talk about that, what other type of treatments I'm just curious to ask you? that you would do if you find out that's not related to the mechanics?
1: Um, if it's not, then I'm looking at those other balance systems. We are so fortunate in our physical that we have a computerized uh, dynamic posturography machine. There are 30 in the country. So I can harness somebody in and do a sensory organizational test, an a, a actual um, CAT sib. And so it's six tests, you know, they're standing on a platform, eyes open, eyes closed, visual conflict, then I can move the floor, do the same test. So that really pulls out for me deficits and what, what systems they prefer. And then we can sort of strengthen the ones that are not working or, or kind of level them out. You know, we don't strengthen the vestibular system. You kind of balance it out, but through vestibular training. So I, we have that part with the physical training. So that's when I would do vestibular rehabilitation, some habituation adaptation, um waiting to their system, but small percentage for me,
0: yeah, good, so before you transition to the final questions, anything else that you wanna add on this topic?
1: you know I think I like the way you you said it like uh even i have we have i think how many providers we might have, we have 12 or 13, uh, Sir MDTs at our clinic and there are still, you know, there are guys that have been Sir MDTs way longer, but as soon as they get a dizziness patient, they're like, you go see Bridget. You go over there, <laughs> but um, it's just getting, it's the same thing as getting confident in it and not being afraid. You know, before I knew McKenzie, I would have been, I was afraid, you know, oh gosh. And now knowing, Hey, I peripheralize a symptom. Let's just undo it. Let's just bring it back. Let's just, it's just mechanical. And so I feel like understanding that it's very much similar in the mechanical assessment. It is a mechanical assessment that it gives so much more confidence. its It's just that all these symptoms are not things we're used to hearing the blurry vision, the nausea, you know, you're like, I don't want to make somebody throw up. And sometimes you do, not very often, only that's usually when I'm correcting an inner ear BPPV. <laughs> but, you know, bring it, you're going to go wherever you can go to take away that symptom. Yeah, Finding you can right just start playing. Start, yeah,
0: start playing with those and trying to reduce the symptoms, And it's, see what uh-huh. you find. And it's
1: very, it's simple. And that's why people have a hard time too. They're like, what do you mean? I just tested for, you know, two years or I just went through four different doctors and you're telling me I'm going to do this, like, you know, ugly double chin thing. (laughs) And that's going to be what's going to resolve my problem. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely think don't, not to be afraid of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's already your advice to clinicians. That's one of my questions would be an advice to clinicians that are starting their careers. Um, anything else you want to add other than part B, McCain's, if you're treating cervicogenic or just dizziness in general, because a lot of them are cervicogenic based on what you just just told
1: us. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely like, you know, obviously this is an MDT, more MDT podcast, right? But definitely like MDT and part B, if you have part B, you can you can treat a dizzy patient. And then just really knowing the difference between a dizziness and a vertigo. And so being having some basic, you know, ability to do uh, maneuvers, positions to test the Dix Hall Pike, the supine roll test. So you can say that's vertigo. It lasts less than 30 seconds. It resolves its positional versus I, this one doesn't seem to have very much of rhyme or reason or every time I bend over, I get it or when I'm sitting, you know, a long time, just like understanding this, what, how the symptoms differentiate in a couple of tests that are super helpful in saying, okay, I'm going to go down this mechanical array. But, but everybody, even if they sound like they have vertigo, true vertigo, I will still do a cervical assessment. I will still do a mechanical assessment to see if I can change anything before I take them to the goggles especially because once you take somebody to a, to a goggles and a Dix Hall Pike and you maneuver them, you, can't re- you don't really move their neck for 48 hours. But that's other, that's other information.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, and do you have any resource of information that you want to share with
1: us that you think is helpful for the other PTs? I wish I did. I, I feel like I, I don't have that resource, which I wish that I did. And I feel like we need to do more of. Um, I do have some people that have reached out to me to actually do more case studies and some research in this. Um, But, you know, I, I get, I I got some great training certification through the physical college, you know, from that franchise that gives me a better understanding of the vestibular system and, and vertigo. Um, And, you know, but then there's also the vestibular disorders association, which is the Vita, I think it's how you pronounce it, vestibular.org. And that has a lot of good information on maneuvers, but it's still, I pulled up the cervicogenic dizziness just to see Um, And it's very vague and it's always, um, it always says they have to have neck pain and it kind of is the last thing. Once you've ruled every single thing out, then you can say they have cervical dizziness and it it says, you know, they have to probably have had a neck injury, a whiplash. And I don't find that to be true in my experience. It can be no reason, insidious onset posture over time.
0: Yeah. So you are our resource
1: of information. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I need to find more, more <laughs> and more and do more, and we need some research. I think that would help a lot of people i'm I just am clinically based in my in what I, the people that I see and the people that I help,
0: yeah, well, we have to find other m d t people that start seeing the same thing so we can get together and start publishing a few mm-hmm. cases and go from there yeah. <laughs> yes uh, and what personal qualities or abilities that you think are important to become a successful physical therapist?
1: I definitely think that through the years, I think that sometimes PTs we want to share our knowledge and everything that we know. Um, I definitely think obviously it's a compassionate and empathetic person, but I think it's a good listener. As you know, my mentors, Denise Campbell, my boss, just the most brilliant PT I've ever met. But, um, you know, a lot of the patients will have the answer if you listen. And so being a a good, a great listener, um, and being personable and getting as quick of a therapeutic alliance, getting on the same page, my goals are your goals and what would be the most valuable thing I can do for you. And then being able to treat them people, if they know you care about them, they're going to, they're going to take themselves to almost throwing up knowing that you're trying to help them. Well, Bridget,
0: um, if people want to learn more about you or ask you questions since
1: you are our resource
0: of information, how can they find you?
1: Uh, they can find me at Bridget, B R I D G E T dot, or period, Schola That's my last name. So S-C H O L L J E G E R D is in Dog E S is in Sam at Physical F Y Z I C A L dot com. Awesome.
0: Bridget, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day uh, to come share your knowledge with us. I think it's super helpful. The more people that know about this uh, topic and know how to treat it or know how to start treating, um, I think it's super beneficial for all our patients, our profession. So I really appreciate you
1: coming here and willing to share with us all your experience. Thank you. Thank you so much for just reaching out to me and um, thank you for your patience as we get this together. Thank you so much.
0: Questions, suggestions, or topics you want to hear about? Talk to me on ptprotalk.com. Join our email list to receive updates and new episodes and subscribe here. Tell your friends about it and be sure to share. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We are going to publish today's video recording on my YouTube channel, so you can check the link out in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time!